hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, a partner with Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening around the world, we're also fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. On the program, we span the globe with updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we're chatting with one of our members in Washington, D.C. So joining us today on the program is David Fortney, co-founder of Fortney Scott in Washington, D.C. And for any of our listeners who are interested, Fortney Scott prepares the D.C. Insider Report. It details the developments with the Biden administration. And you can find a link to download a copy of the D.C. Insider Report in the description of this podcast. So today we're talking with David about how employers should prepare for change under the Biden administration. David, welcome to the program. How are you today? Thanks, Tara. I'm great. And I'm really, really delighted to spend a little bit of time with you discussing so many developments that we're seeing on the ground here in Washington. Well, never a dull moment in D.C., I'm sure. No, there's not. So we're just a few weeks after Inauguration Day. President Biden has really hit the ground running and you're sitting at the nation's epicenter on these changes. Where do you think things stand today with the Biden administration with respect to employer interests? Well, thanks for that question, because honestly, there is more going on in the last 30 days than we have literally seen in years. And it's going on on so many fronts. And I know a number of our clients are just feeling a little bit almost overwhelmed. They hear it you know, on the news every night. They see a daily press briefing going on. And I think there's broad recognition that the administration is moving quickly. The, what President Biden and Vice President Harris committed to do, they are doing. We have seen at this point, as we speak today, we're up to 28 executive orders. Those started on the first afternoon, right after President Biden was inaugurated. He's also issued a series of presidential memos and proclamations that address a number of his top priorities. Additionally, of particular interest for employers, there was a, an immediate freeze on new regulations. And it isn't just new regulations, but ones that had been pushed out, what we call midnight regulations, at the very end of the prior administration before they become effective, all of those were frozen in place. So I think a lot of employers were caught a little off guard. They've been planning to comply, and, and those have been held. The third thing that's happened very quickly Washington, we used to be a Southern city, which means maybe we're a little sleepy as they would say, well, we're not sleepy anymore and certainly not this administration because often when a new administration starts, there's this kind of ramping up period. And typically you have career people running things and the agencies are typically fairly tepid, fairly calm, they're placeholders, but not much is occurring until the new cabinet officers and others get in place. The Biden-Harris administration took a completely different approach. They said, we are going to have highly experienced, very, very substantive leaders right below the cabinet level. So the sub-cabinet level, and we're going we're gonna to put them in place. Some of them literally started the afternoon after the inauguration. So that has enabled the agency between the president's executive orders and memos and the not the career employees, but, but politically appointed sub-cabinet agency leadership 
to really have the agencies begin immediately, literally on day one, to gain traction and start moving forward. Now, historically, there's been a lot of focus on what a new administration accomplishes within its first 100 days. Time flies when you're having fun, but what are the key changes that employers can expect from the Biden administration in these first 100 days? So, yeah, that's right. And the first 100 days, a lot of people, it's not, there's no statutory test. We actually had a client that was, what's the statute? That Well, there's no statute. That's just become sort of a, a yardstick that's useful to measure. And I think certainly in the case of the Biden-Harris administration, there is a great appreciation that what you can get done at the beginning, that's often your greatest window of opportunity. People are still interested to the extent there's cooperation. People, you have a, a, a deal, of some, some goodwill that exists. And in the case, what we know and what, what President Biden has quickly figured out is that the proposals that he has put forward to address the COVID-19 pandemic are overwhelmingly popular. They have a popularity rating at this point of over 70%, 15 days into his administration. The president himself has a popularity rating of 60, 61% based on today's polls, a popularity level that hasn't been reached in years by several different presidents. So from President Biden's standpoint, it's like, okay, I've got the wind at my back. I have momentum. And although I'm interested in some consultation and bipartisan effort, I am going to really work hard and implement some of our key objectives. And on that, the administration has been very clear on where it is focusing. It's not scattershot. Point number one, the COVID-19 pandemic responding effectively and much more quickly. Point number two, the economy. The economy needs help. There's recognition and steps are being taken immediately to address it. Point three, social justice. The Biden-Harris administration approaches social justice issues with the same intensity and urgency that they do with both the economy and COVID-19. And finally, the fourth bucket, and these are the big sort of pillars on which the administration is tethered, deals with climate change and improvement. And what we, so what we have seen and what we're going to see more of in the first 100 days is action addressed on every one of those objectives in the context of the employment setting, because the employment setting actually, and, and our, our interest, our clients as employers, we are involved in all four of those objectives. Keystone Pipeline is jobs and the global impact, but certainly the others, how COVID-19 responds to the pandemic and the social justice issues are directly every day impact every single workplace in America. And so the president, is filling that. And what we're beginning to see is some very clear responses take shape. The president makes no, no secret of the fact that he is very sympathetic to the AFL-CIO. He, he believes in union organizing. He believes in strengthening union organizing. He believes in the PRO Act, an act for reformation and expansion of union organizing ability and has taken a number of steps already to demonstrate his support for the AFL-CIO objectives. Second, the president has been very clear that one of the areas that in his view needs to be remedied immediately is stepped up regulatory action directed at the COVID in the workplace. And specifically that means for, for our clients, OSHA. 
and the ELA has a great, let me just put a plug in, we have a great OSHA committee uh, that Bill Wayhoff runs, but we're focusing in, and what he, we've already had a very detailed executive order addressing OSHA changes, implementing a mask requirement on all federal property, interstate travel, a host of issues. And we do expect in the first 100 days, there will be a new temporary standard. That is a uh, be a regulatory requirement. It will apply to effectively all workplaces in the U.S. The question of what should be done for people that are on leave, that are facing unpaid leave, particularly because of COVID-related, the president's program envisions expanding federal paid leave. There was a short-term program in place last spring that people will recall, and the Biden administration wants to renew that. And that would be not only just paid leave if you can't work, but expanded unemployment, expanded hazard pay if you can't work because of a hazardous condition due to COVID. So it's a very robust, comprehensive approach to expanding federal paid leave. The, the union interest I touched on, and there's already been some, some a number of actions taken to advance the FLCIO's priorities. Another area, and this deals with the social justice agenda, is the administration is particularly focused on the Supreme Court's decision last year in Bostock, which of course recognized LGBTQ protections as part of the Title VII protections. What President Biden has done, now we're talking the first 15 days, has said, we're going to read Bostock. We're not gonna just limit it to Title VII in the private sector. We, the federal government, are gonna expand LGBTQ protection as broadly as possible. So we're gonna talk about it in housing programs. We're gonna talk about it in education loans. We're gonna talk about it in a whole range of issues. So the both private and, and public sector employees will feel an expansive reading of Bostock at the behest of the Biden Justice Department. That will be coming up. New legislation. There's been a lot of attention on, we have a new Congress, the 117th Congress. And uh, it's of course well known that the margins are very thin, particularly in the Senate, but that the Democrats do control both houses of Congress. We're, as we sit here today, looking at the final steps of what will be an enactment of probably close to a $1.9 trillion supplemental package. It will be very close to what President Biden asked for. And there are very few parts of that package that he's not going to receive that he asked for. One, however, is the minimum wage. He had proposed as part of the package a $15 minimum wage. That is likely not going to be part of this package, but will become an object of significant legislative activity coming up. And I predict in the first 100 days, we will see an increase in minimum wage. Will it get all the way to 15? Will it be stepped in? That remains to be seen. Finally, the other point that I think we need to be very mindful of are immigration reforms. Those are happening very rapidly. And it's not only the H1A, H1B, and the other workers that are impacted, but also it's the issues in terms of migrants that have come to the country that are here as, as so-called dreamers, that are that getting achieving legal status for them, short of deporting them, and a number of other changes. So I think we're going to see significant substantive changes in the first 100 days on every one of those items, each of which have about two dozen separate subtopics below each one. <laughs> so in terms of being an employment lawyer, it's one of the busiest times we've probably all had in our career and will continue to be. Lots of fun in store, definitely. <laughs> so on that point, there's been a lot of discussion about bipartisan support, unity, reaching across the aisle. From an employer standpoint, is employer cooperation of these different interest groups 
working together? Is that likely with respect to the Biden administration's new initiatives? What are you seeing on that front? You know, I think this is interesting because I think if you would apply the old traditional rules, you would assume that employers' interests would be kind of at going head to head with President Biden and some of these so-called liberal agenda items, federal paid leave and so forth. Well, it's interesting. Some of the major business interests, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, not exactly a left-leaning organization, has noted that, number one, they believe that there's a number of these programs that the business community wants to work with the Biden administration on. Number two, they believe, many of the leading business representatives have said, they think that there is a role for federal paid leave. They think there is a role for some of these expanded, perhaps other, other leave provisions. Now, are they just being benevolent? Maybe. But another, another reality that most businesses have now realized is that the patchwork of state legislation that multi-state employers are facing is so overwhelming and so difficult to administer that actually having more uniform, understood federal regulations, accepting some regulation and getting uniformity may be worth it. And that applies across the board to paid leave. That may apply to OSHA regulation of COVID. That may apply to a wide range of things. So I think that the, the new normal that I'm seeing in Washington is businesses re-willing re and not only to look at these programs differently, but to actually work in partnership to see if a result can be achieved. And I also would include raising the minimum wage. A number of businesses are willing to do that. There's disagreement over not whether to raise the wage of 725, that's too low, but how incrementally and how it will work. So I think there's going to be a lot more collaboration than one might think. Yeah, it sure seems like that sense of uniformity across the country would be a breath of fresh air for a lot of employers that are operating on a regional, national, international level. Right. And one of the concepts that we don't see coming that could help promote that would be preemption. And we don't see that as part of it. So we've got to get these federal programs negotiated that help serve the business community interest and are responsive to some of the legitimate concerns on the other side. So let's turn to labor. Marty Walsh has been nominated as Secretary of Labor, and he had his hearing by the committee earlier this week. Do you see him being confirmed as the new Secretary of Labor, and what will his agenda be if that goes through? I do I do see him being confirmed. Mr. Walsh, currently the mayor of the city of Boston, uh, mayor for two terms up there, is a card-carrying member of the Building Trades Union. It's been over four decades since we actually had a union member run the U.S. Department of Labor, so it is historical. He has a strong personal relationship with President Biden. So there will be the, the Labor Department, what that means. So Walsh is going to be confirmed. I think his hearing was practically a love fest with the leading Republicans saying you're eminently well qualified. We look forward to working with you, et cetera. It was quite, it was quite interesting. And the so he's out of committee. We expect the Senate to confirm him by the 11th or 12th of February. So that will be done in short order. And I think that, that anticipating he will be Secretary of Labor Walsh, he's going to be very willing to cooperate. So this goes back to a point we touched on a moment ago. He's going to build on that. He is a strong believer that OSHA needs to be beefed up. And he promised up to 500 new OSHA inspectors. He promised that every OSHA inspector is going to get vaccinated quickly. They're going to put boots on the ground. We're going to see lots of inspections in OSHA workplaces. He also is a very strong proponent through the programs we've seen in Boston in working collaboratively 
to promote diversity and inclusion. He was very effective in promoting diversity and inclusion in the building trades in Boston, which are traditionally not quite as diverse as, as other positions are. So let's talk about the National Labor Relations Board for a moment. Right. There was a bit of drama with the changing of the guard at the NLRB. Can you walk us through the lead up and the impact of President Biden changing the NLRB's general counsel? Sure. So this is a good illustration when I mentioned before that the Biden administration has tried to take some specific actions to demonstrate their support of the AFL-CIO's interests. On day one, the afternoon, President Biden was very busy after he was inaugurated that afternoon. And among other things, in between signing executive orders, he sent a letter to Peter Robb, who was the, then the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board. And he said, Mr. Robb, you have until five o'clock to resign or I'm going to fire you. Mr. Robb did not resign. He was fired that afternoon at 5.01 and summarily replaced and, and the re deputy was then fired. Uh, and a long-term career employee uh, was put in place with strong leanings towards and willingness to really follow the playbook for the AFL-CIO. The general counsel termination, this is the first the time that that has ever occurred. And the reason people are concerned about this the general counsel is a Senate-confirmed position for a specific period of time. So over since 1939, since the Wagner Act was put in place, when the administrations change, there often is a residual general counsel from the prior party, but he or she has been allowed to remain, finish the term, and then the new administration puts in their designee. That did not happen here. And the more interesting question is, number one, will the decisions made by the new general counsel be successfully challenged in court? And there are a number of legal challenges pending right now because the general counsel also is the prosecutor and determines which issues get prosecuted by the late, before the labor board. But number two, will this further be extended and expanded, this, this changing out concept to other semi-independent agencies? The EEOC general counsel, who is similarly situated EEOC commissioners, NLRB board members. We don't know, that isn't there yet, but certainly this was a very significant and, and people, I think people were surprised at the strength of the, the action that was taken and the impact. So one final question. It seems yeah. like one of the few constants for employers is change. And with yeah. everything facing employers right now, what would you say are the three key issues employers need to watch to stay in front of all of these developments? I think, I think there are three key specific ones. Number one, that although there are efforts being made to change things by legislation, what the Biden administration is going to realize quickly is that the easiest way of changing things, as they're demonstrating, is through executive order. And the executive order process enables them to impose new significant obligations on federal contractors. That embraces over 25% of the employers in the United States. It can be done with the stroke of the pen by the president. He can impose the $15 minimum wage. He can impose broad-based EEO new obligations. He can impose the PRO Act, the union negotiating to a, a large extent. So there's a number of changes. So if you're a federal contractor, watch carefully because we know not only enforcement on compensation, but wages, there's going to be broad-based enforcement. Number two, wage and hour reform. The prior administration regulations were frozen and will never see the light of day. There will be new regulations on independent contractor. The California ABC test is going to be there along with a new joint employer regulation uh, and also new TIP regulations, I should add. Finally, I've touched on OSHA. OSHA is gonna be real and a lot of people because of COVID 
OSHA is no longer going to be reduced to just industrial settings, but everyone in office settings, we're all going to have to pay attention to new OSHA regulations. They're going to be there and they're going to be there. Not going to take the first hundred days. That's going to be here in less than 50 days. Well, David, I think we could spend all day talking with one another, but uh, today's conversation has reiterated that we both need to get back to work. So exactly. thanks for keeping us in the loop on these issues and for joining us today. Sarah, thank you so much. It's great to be with you today. Thank you. If you'd like to connect with David or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Just go to the big Find a Lawyer widget in the center of the page, where you can also sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Singley. Thanks for listening.